Dennis Stewart, last week you started to talk about the uh, conference that, mm. um, uh, it, which was held recently in Sydney, but um, didn't get through to we talk about one of the things we you didn't. really did want to talk we about. Didn't. Look, it was a, an interesting and valuable conference, and I think listeners should be aware of the fact that uh, the teaching and promotion of herbal medicine in Australia, particularly in New South Wales, is very, very strong, and I was privileged to give a lecture, a couple of lectures at that conference and spoke about some herbs, one in particular, which we'll discuss today, Jane. Dennis, we're starting off with a listener's call. We will be talking about one of we your interesting herbs, but we, we will talk to <laughs> Joe from Lake Macquarie, who's rung in now with a question about psoriasis. Hello. So. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Good, good. How can we help you? Um, a friend of a friend of mine has um, basically got a really bad case of very acute psoriasis down one leg, yes. and um, I seem to remember you talking some weeks ago. Was it about um, castor oil or something? Or I can't remember what you were talking okay. about. But really wanting to get your ideas okay. on that. Well, of course, anyone that knows anything about psoriasis will know that it's a very difficult condition to treat in my opinion, both medically and naturopathically. But having said that, it is treatable. And for the sake of listeners, psoriasis is is a a chronic condition that asserts itself in large plaques on the body that are usually very silvery and very scaly and frequently first show themselves on elbows and knees, although it can occur anywhere in the body. Um, In this case, it seems to be restricted to a limb, one, one part of the body, which would seem to lend itself to a treatment a little bit more easier than if the psoriasis was was everywhere, in inverted commas. Now, my approach to psoriasis is, first of all, to indicate that there's no magic bullet, even within naturopathic or herbal medicine, there is no magic bullet. But there is an approach that is valid in as much that it's based on our literature. And secondly, it has demonstrated a, a workable effect on many cases of psoriasis, that I have seen over very many years. To start with, in my opinion, any case of psoriasis, particularly if it is a chronic case and is a recurring situation, uh, and it is defiant, if you like, to to the mainstream approach, it should be considered to be treated with a group of herbs, two in particular, two in particular, which are very, very highly recommended in our literature and in our profession. The first one is a well-known herb uh, called sarsaparilla. It's botanically, yep. it's botanically known as Smilax. And in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia of 1983, which I've referred to previously on this program as being, if you like, the, the Bible of modern herbal medicine, it is called up specifically, that is above all other conditions, for psoriasis, particularly in its fairly uh, advanced or obvious stage. So if I was suffering from psoriasis, regardless of where it was, um, I would be uh, seeking to use oral medication based on sarsaparilla and taking it in the dosages that are called up in the literature. And they're fairly elevated dosages. And it would be wise if your uh, friend has had this condition for some time um, to see a professional who uses herbs so that sarsaparilla could be facilitated and established in the right dose. It's the main herb, in my opinion, although there are other herbs with, with it that are usually combined, herbs such as burdock and, and yellow dock and dandelion. They're usually put together 
with sarsaparilla in a compound that most herbalists or compounding pharmacists could prescribe. Now, having said that, um, years and years ago, I demonstrated the potential benefit of what was called chickweed oil, not castor oil, chickweed oil. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Chickweed is a common garden herb, a wayside herb, which most people know and recognize, uh, a lovely little ovate uh, green leaf with a little tiny white flower. Um, quite a useful um, herb indeed. Um, when I was breeding gullians, they loved, they loved chickweed. When they saw me coming, they'd go berserk, so to speak. But if you make an oil of chickweed, it's a simple preparation. You take a, a non-specific amount of the fresh herb and you macerate it. That's the technical term. Or soak it, in other words, in, in olive oil. You might have a large wide mouth jar and you might fill it up with fresh uh, chickweed and then you pour on as much olive oil as it will take and you let it stand in a warm place. Then it becomes what's called the infused oil of chickweed and you decant the oil uh, and filter it and that oil can be remarkably useful in addressing some levels of psoriasis and it costs you virtually nothing. That's a starting base but also what is very, very effective on psoriasis in my opinion are preparations that incorporate two substances. One is an extract of licorice called glycotinic acid and it is usually combined with a small amount of juniper tar or pine tar. And an ointment based on those two principles is remarkable, particularly for dealing with, if you like, limited areas of psoriasis, particularly on limbs. So if I were your friend, I'd take that on board. It's an inexpensive treatment. It's very safe. It would not conflict, in my opinion, with anything your friend might be doing medically. And I'd be surprised if there wasn't a benefit. Okay, thank you. So with the chickweed oil, yes. um, how long does that need to be infused for okay. before it can be used? Well, some people have the idea that you, the, the longer you leave uh, a herb, uh, macerate them, the stronger it will be. That's not so. There is a point where the herb, either fresh or dried, will have given up all of its principles, its chemistry, uh, to the uh, the macerating medium, i.e. the oil. So generally speaking, no more than a week is needed for the principles to be extracted from the herb and taken up into the oil and becomes the infused oil of chickweed. A very, very underrated preparation, in my opinion, that could be used not just for psoriasis, but, but, but also other skin conditions, even some levels of eczema. And uh, Jan has rung in from Warners Bay, and uh, we haven't got her on the line, Dennis, mm -hmm. but she wanted to know how to deal with recurring ur urinary yes. tract infection. Well, these are a very nasty problem, and interestingly, I see a lot of them in practice. It's a, a condition that uh, I think not many people appreciate how, how serious it can be, how uncomfortable it can be. And uh, and not always is the is the medical approach adequate to stop the recurrence of the condition. And in my opinion, there's only so many antibiotics that you can take for this. Now, fortunately, history has demonstrated, even prior to the advent of antibiotics, that urinary tract infections can be helped with natural medications. And I have spoken about this in the past, and I'll just reiterate a few points that might help this dear lady. Um, there is a little book called Understanding Cystitis by Angela Kilmartin. Um, it's a book that I have mentioned for years and years and years 
needs to be read. It can, it's still available, I understand, from Amazon or the Book Depot. It sets out some very self-help approaches for managing recurring cystitis conditions. That's principle number one. The second thing is to acknowledge that there are some natural substances which have a reputation and a growing reputation on the part of one of them for doing something preventatively. There are two substances. One is, of course, the cranberry, and there's controversy about the cranberry, albeit I have many patients and clients over the years who will not be without the regular taking of of, of cranberry, uh, particularly in a concentrated encapsulated or tableted form. My my view on the, the negative comments that have been made about cranberry with reference to its preventative effect on, on cystitis is that dosage perhaps has not been fully appreciated. And my understanding of cranberry is that its effect can only be asserted when it's taken in what could be called the therapeutic dose. Now, fortunately, most products in our pharmacy and health food stores do contain these days concentrated tableted or encapsulated preparations of cranberry extract. Now, cranberry, we think, works in as much that what it does is lessen the ability of bacteria in particular to adhere to the mucous membrane of the urinary tract. In other words, in simple terminology, the environment that's thought to be the the feeding ground for for the bacteria is beneficially interfered with by the regular ongoing daily use of a cranberry supplement. If you're not doing that, you really need to look at it and go for the higher levels of it in order to uh, potentiate it and get a better effect. Now, the other substance that's become very popular in recent years is a powdered preparation known as D-M-A-N-O-S-E. D-M-A-N-N-O-S-E. It's a, 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 how can we call it? It's a substance of the same sort of nature as, as a glycerin sugar preparation. Uh, it isn't a sugar as you know it, but chemically it has characteristics similar to that of glycerin. In a powdered preparation, as a powder or an encapsulated preparation, in my opinion, it's been a bit of a breakthrough uh, for many women in the last 10 years who have been introduced to demonos. Once upon a time, we used to have to recommend patients and clients to, to import it from overseas because it wasn't easily got here. It is now, and we suspect that it similarly works preventatively to the cranberry in interfering with the, uh, the chemistry, with the secretions, with the environment of the mucous membrane, so that bacteria in particular can't thrive in that area due to the benefit that demonos and cranberry has. I would suggest to this uh, dear lady that if she isn't doing those two things, they're two things that should be looked at, even discuss it with your GP. They're both very safe substances and work preventatively, not for the episode. These are not remedies that should be used to treat an acute episode. You have asked for a preventative treatment. Those two substances fit into that niche of trying to build up a preventative base. Now, the other thing is this. I have mentioned a particular herbal tea for many, many years with reference to cystitis, and that is the South African herb called buku, B-U-C-H-U. Buku has been long called up uh, in both the medical and naturopathic literature as being a remedy that has an antiseptic effect in the urinary tract. It is not an antibiotic. It has a cleansing or antiseptic effect, and when used as a herbal tea, 
it, to use European terminology, it, it irrigates the urinary system and cleanses the urinary system and has the effect, therefore, of lessening bacterial activity. Uh, my approach these days is based on using Demino's cranberry and an ongoing daily use of buku tea, two to three cups a day, until there's evidence that the condition is starting to subside. But even there, I'd continue taking a buku tea at a low dose, particularly if this dear lady has suffered from cystitis for many, many years. And while we're on UTIs mm. and cranberry, Marilyn yes. has rung in from East Maitland. Marilyn, you've got a question about using cranberry tablets. Um, good afternoon, Jenny. Hello, Marilyn. I've listened with great interest about your little chat this morning on UTIs because I've suffered with them for many, many years. They're thankfully nasty. now they're nasty, aren't thankfully they? now mm. I don't. Yet yeah, they are absolutely yeah. hideous and yes. would cripple me for days. Yes, dear dear. I I had three lots of surgery, all to no avail and I read as much as I could about preventative medicine yes. and cranberry tablets was the first thing in my days, I'm, I'm talking about being on these now for the last 20 years. Really? And, you, you must have been one of the first. I uh, probably was. <laughs> and I tell you what, yeah. Dennis, I do not miss a single day of taking a oh, cranberry wonderful. tablet. Wonderful. Nor, nor do I get UTIs anymore. Good on I you. Can, I can absolutely vouch for the power of cranberry tablets. Like I started the cranberry juice. But it's too expensive, yes, yes. and you've got to drink far too much for it to be of any good, and, and far too much sugar in it. I agree. So, cranberry tablets have been my lifesaver, absolutely, Dennis. Isn't so that wonderful? Any, any ladies out there uh, suffer with this constantly, I urge you to get onto cranberry tablets and take them religiously every morning with your cup of tea. But Isn't I'm also going to have a go at that buku because that sounds yeah. interesting. Look, it is interesting. And the, the, the thing about buku is it works differently uh, to the cranberry. Cranberry, as yeah. I've said, uh, tends to, and I'll be simple here, uh, sticks to the urinary tract wall yeah. and, and, inhibits, yeah. and inhibits bacterial feeding. Whereas yeah. when you're looking at buku, when you uh, smell the herb, it smells very much like peppermint, which indicates that it oh. contains a powerful essential oil. Now, that essential yeah. oil, like many essential oils, as it passes through the system, the urinary tract, brings with yeah. it an antiseptic benefit. So when you blend yeah. the two together, you have the benefit of the cranberry inhibiting proliferation on the membrane, but you have the benefit yeah. also of the antiseptic essential oil in the buku. The two work together beautifully. Brilliant. So can you get that at any health food shop? Look, uh, you should be able to. Uh, you're up in, in Maitland, aren't you? Um, East, yes. East, East Maitland. Look, go over, yeah. go, go to your pharmacy in, in East Hills. I'm sure they keep some of the things that I mention. If not, right. if not, always ring my rooms and we'll point you to a local area where you can get it. It's not the most popular herb, but it's available. Yeah. It's available. Uh and, well, and, thank you for that. And Marilyn, what, what I'd like to, to thank you for is, look, uh, there are still very many people that uh, believe that, that what I say and what I've said for so many years is nothing more than nonsense. It's all quackery, et cetera, et cetera. Your, your um, feedback, like many other clients and patients and listeners over the years, reiterating the benefits of what I talk about encourages me 
to keep doing what I'm doing because to hear that from you uh, is more important uh, than hearing it from me. Someone who has suffered this wretched condition uh, for so long and has benefited from the cranberry, what more can I say to listeners who doubt what we say? Health Naturally on 2NURFM. Margaret has rung in from Blacksmiths. And, Margaret, your question's about rosacea. Yes, I'd I'd like to know if there is something that I I could Mm. use to get rid of it. I've had it for a long time. Have you, Margaret? Let me ask you a few questions. Is your rosacea, is it pustular or just extremely red? Uh, Red. It's extremely red. Okay. I'll just say to listeners, first of all, Margaret, that Rosacea is a condition that's 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 very common, uh, particularly in, in in ladies, and it's characterised by two main symptoms. It tends to assert itself on the face and 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 particularly the nose, and it can be characterised by very significant redness and or pustular lesions as well. Now, the reason I asked whether or not yours was characterised by redness or or pustules or infection, because that determines to an extent what you would recommend. In your case, in your case, there are two things that I would recommend to you to try, both, mm-hmm. of, both of which I have found useful. Now, the thing to appreciate, Margaret, is that uh, what may work for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. And I say this to all yes. listeners. Yep. All I can do in a minute or two is give some recommendations about simple things that have helped some people. The first okay. thing, the, the first thing to, to think about is a topical preparation, Called the GA cream. Um, yes, I had that had had that from you years ago. Okay. Well, uh, it, it is still a useful preparation, but it needs to be reinforced by a homeopathic remedy known as Sanguinaria. Just write S A N G S A N G S S A N G. That stands for Sanguinaria, which is the botanical name for a herb called bloodroot. Now, Sanguinaria in a homeopathic preparation of, say, 6C. Now, write 6C beside it. 6C beside it. That is generally... 6C. 6C. The little... That's the potency. S-E-A. Now, S... Just... Just the little little letter C. Just C. Oh, right. Okay. 6C. Now, that that is homeopathic... uh, uh, jargon, if you like, for the strength of the preparation. That usually comes in in tiny little pillules, uh, which Mm -hmm. are are very safe in that potency, and when taken can sometimes see a significant reduction in some cases of rosacea. The thing about it is, Margaret, it is very inexpensive. So Mm -hmm. it's not as if you're going to spend thousands of dollars on a treatment that doesn't work. You're going to spend perhaps a couple of bucks in the car, or more than a couple of bucks, but you know what I mean. Not a yeah, lot of money yeah. on trying it. So, look, give that a go. Don't don't give up on the GA cream. Oh, for the sake of listeners, let me just explain. GA means glycotinic acid or glycorrhizin, which is an extract from licorice. It is a white preparation available from compound pharmacists, some herbalists, etc. And in Europe, it is used cosmetically as well as therapeutically. And in some cases, it works brilliantly. In other cases, not at all. Blend it with the oral medication, the 6C of Sanguinaria. Give it a go and down the track, get on back, back on the program and let us know how you've gone. I'll do that.
that. I'll do that, Dennis. Okay. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Margaret. Now, Dennis, as we said earlier, you're, you were involved in yes. a, a conference on yes. herbal medicine. Yes, now, yes. Why in these days would anybody want to go to a conference on herbs? That's a good question. Look, I think it's easily answered. Uh, this conference, which was held in Sydney, uh, sponsored by a major Australian company, uh, attracted a very, very large audience of health professionals as well as lay people, but mainly health professionals. The simple answer is this, Jane. Herbal medicine, the oldest of the healing arts, remember, the oldest of the healing arts, has never, never lost its fascination and has never lost its workability. And in a modern environment where we use the term complementary medicine, uh, herbal medicine in particular has come into the forefront as a, com- as a component of complementary medicine in reinforcing or working with, if you like, mainstream medical procedures. So the interest is still out there, increasingly so, by the way, uh, amongst younger medical practitioners, medical professionals, who, being very well trained in modern orthodox medicine, Uh, here and there meet the limitations of the mainstream medical system and look for components that can reinforce their practice. And herbal medicine, I presented at that conference, as a valid modality, if you like, to be appended to mainstream medicine, particularly for addressing uh, conditions that are characterised by chronicity or conditions that are recurring in nature. So the interest is there, has always been there. It's an accelerating interest as health professionals realise that no one system of medicine has all the answers. Mainstream medicine, great and necessary as it is, and thank God for it, hasn't got all the answers, neither has herbal medicine. But put the two together, uh, the modern health professional who is not, how can I call it, put out by drawing on aspects of traditional medicine, in my opinion, can reinforce their practice and have approaches to certain conditions which the mainstream perhaps is not as good at. So there's the the need for the conference to wave the flag, to cater for the demand being made on the part of healthcare professionals for a modern interpretation of, of herbal medicine, keeping in mind that herbal medicine today, based on the great tradition of thousands of years, is nevertheless documented better than it's ever been and clinically demonstrated over and over again to be efficacious in conditions particularly that we've been discussing today. There's the need and it will accelerate the need to educate on the use of this lovely system of medicine, this gentle system of medicine. God help us if we ever reach a stage in our society where we become too proud and too haughty to acknowledge the tradition associated with medicine, which is latent in herbal medicine. Excellent. So that's why the conference happened. I think so. And, uh... I think so. Uh, what well, I mean, the, 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 we, if you go to health food stores or pharmacies, you'll find uh, an incredible array of herbal products. But uh, behind the array of those herbal products, good as they are, there's also a strong profession, a herbal medicine profession, a naturopathic profession, which uses the herbs in a very clinical way and needs upgrading about uh, new herbal discoveries, um, new approaches, combinations, formulations, and conferences like these see the herbal medicine profession, if you like, thriving, building its base, gaining respectability. We're here to stay. 
Health Naturally on 2NURFM. As well as talking about herbs in general and maybe one in particular in just a moment. But rosacea has sparked a, sparked a, mm. uh, a chord, I mm. think, Dennis. And Anne has rung in from Mount Hutton. And you've got something to say about rosacea as well, Anne. Yes, hi, Dennis. Hello, Anne. Is it something that occurs all over the face or can just happen on one side of the face? Oh, that's a good question. Most cases that I've seen with it um, have been on both sides. Um, let me just say that any redness uh, anywhere in the body needs to be examined by a doctor and diagnosed. Um, I can, look, it's possible that rosacea could be on, on one side of the face. It's just that I've not... Uh, seen that there are others out there but GPs and dermatologists with more experience than I have that may have seen it have you had your uh, condition looked at Anne? No I I want it to be acting when I go to the doctors is is it something that's there all the time? It usually is it usually develops a a chronic characteristic Um, is yours a discharging, separating condition? No, no, it's just a redness on one side of the face, but and it comes it, and goes. Is it, if you don't mind me asking, is it associated with your cycle? I'm menopausal. Oh, okay, um, sorry. Yeah, I'm 74. Okay, well, you don't sound 74. You sound very youthful, Anne. So I've been told I don't look it either. Well, there you go. Your day has been made, hasn't it? Yeah, okay. thank you. Look, I would, having said that, let me be a little bit broader and say this. In homeopathy, and that's where we were referring to earlier when we were talking about sanguinaria as a homeopathic remedy, sanguinaria is used for many skin conditions always characterised by redness. Bloodroot is the common name of the herb, so you can see how sanguinaria uh, got its name and its reputation. It's associated with, with redness, particularly on the face, but not always restricted to rosacea. It's just that that's where I have used it and recommended it mostly. I would uh, be keen to say if this thing is something that is recurring and has been recurring for a while, obviously, I I, I think that I would be uh, giving Sanguinaria a go, um, even though at this stage uh, the diagnosis is not complete. You have a a condition that um, is associated with coming and going of redness of the skin if it was anything dangerous or significant or disfiguring um, you would have obviously presented to your doctor beforehand so this is just something that seems to come and go with no obvious reason here sanguinaria might be worth a go is it a cream yes no i'm sorry no sanguinaria is a a pillule a small homeopathic pillule um, not that difficult to get. If you have difficulty, see your pharmacy to start with. But if not, uh, you can always ring my rooms and I'll point you in the right direction. What about the herbal shop at uh, Warner's Bay? Uh, you'd have to contact them to see whether they or anyone else have it. Oh, OK then. OK. Sang- Thank sanguinaria. You, sanguinaria. Just, just go with S-A-N-G and 6C beside it. Okay, thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Anne. And thanks for your call, Anne. Now, Dennis, uh, let's speak about a herb that you (laughs) want to mention today. (laughs) Well, it's it's one of my most favourite herbs. When I was at the conference, one of the lectures that I gave was on the the treatment of various skin diseases, particularly inflammatory skin conditions such as dermatitis and eczema. 
and listeners that have heard me talk about this over the years will know that I have two remedies in particular which I emphasise, both of which are well documented in, in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. And one of those remedies is nettle, stinging nettle. And listeners might there jump out of their seats when they hear me talk about stinging nettles being used as a medicine. What we're talking about is not the fresh stinging nettle. We're talking about stinging nettle that's been collected, probably with gloves on, and allowed, and allowed <laughs> to dry uh, when the, 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 um, the, the formic acid in the leaf dissipates in the drying process as it does if and when the herb is, is heated. But the liquid extract of stinging nettle is based on the dried herb and is very, very popularly used as one remedy, particularly used with the other remedy known as heart's ease, viola tricolour, in the starting base for treatment for many dermatitis conditions and many eczemas. And so I spoke at length about eczema and the way in which stinging nettle, in my opinion, should always be looked at uh, as a, a starting base for the herbal treatment of dermatitis or eczema. And uh, I have a fascination with the herb, Jane, because um, in the Hunter Valley, um, it grows in various locations. And years ago, I used to take students on field excursions. And people that know the Hunter will know that um, along Wine Country Drive, you'll come to a place called Old North Road. And if you turn down to Old North Road, as you go across the creek at the bottom of it, on either side of it, there are banks of stinging nettle. And uh, my dear wife and myself have occasionally collected the stinging nettle, not with just to make on. medicine, <laughs> with gloves on. Uh, but interestingly also, interestingly also, uh, stinging nettle has long been used, not just as a medicinal herb used to treat eczema and dermatitis as oral medication based on the dried herb, but stinging nettle has regularly been harvested, uh, particularly in Anglo countries, in England and Scotland in particular, and turned into what we loosely refer to as a pot, a pot herb or a pot vegetable. In other words, it's collected and, and, and cooked up in the same way that you would cook peas or beans. And it's a very edible herb when it's used in that form. My dear uh, departed father-in-law, who was raised and worked on the New England area around Armadale and Urala for, for many years, used to tell me that during the Great Depression uh, he survived as, as a rouseabout on the farms up there, so to speak, uh, by g gathering singing nettles and another herb called fat hen. They were the staple vegetables that they lived on and here and there they'd trap a rabbit or kill a sheep and that's how they survived. Stinging nettle is a very edible pot herb so long as you know how to collect it and how to use it and how to eat it. So not only has it, has it got medicinal values that are quite remarkable, particularly on the skin, but it also has values when cooked as, as, a, as a wonderful herb. Now, the other thing about it is this, and I could talk about this herb all day. We've spoken today about homeopathic medicine. Homeopathic medicine sometimes uses the same remedies that herbalists use, but use the herb in a very, very small or minute way. A homeopathic preparation of urtica, U-R-T-I-C-A, which is the botanical name for nettles, urtica is used to treat an acute episode of urticaria, hives. And so the homeopathic preparation, quite different to the herbal preparation, is used by homeopaths and has been for years to address acute episodes of urticaria or hives. And finally, and finally, in, in, in recent times, the root of the nettle, 
the root of the nettle has been shown to have value in treating the enlarged prostate and very many preparations now in pharmacies and health food stores will incorporate stinging nettle and sore palmito as a good preparation to address symptoms of the enlarged prostate. Now, did your father-in-law ever make nettle wine? Uh, no, but I'll tell you what. In, in the, a little book that I, I have called How to Enjoy Your Weeds by Audrey Hatfield, she has a lovely re- recipe for nettle beer. And I'm inclined, Jane, as the one who likes an ale now and then, to brew this up and I'll bring it in one day and before the program we'll share it and see how the program goes. Nettle, nettle beer. Nettle beer, does that do anything to blood alcohol? Uh, Possibly not. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Maybe I'm so. not sure. <laughs> it could make for an interesting program. It could indeed. I'll work on it. I'll work, <laughs> we'll on, work it. on it. So nettle um, has been used for a very long time. Of course. And um, mainly for medicinal purposes recently, but also as a nutritional Oh, very much so. Thing. I think we were talking before the program about the way in which in, in olden times, particularly in England and Scotland, uh, herbs like this were seen just as valuable foods. Mm-hmm. And fat hen, Chenopodium album, which my wife and myself collected, believe it or not, mm-hmm. in, 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 the, in the grounds beside the community garden at Cessnock, it's a lovely pot herb too that uh, we could do a field excursion, Jane. We should do this. Why a don't two we do that? A yes. two-NUR field excursion <laughs> to look at these herbs growing in the hunter that we can collect and turn into food. Now, there will be a clothing restriction there, though. We should have to wear long, long <laughs> yes, pants. Yes, long trousers, gloves. You'd have to also have a, a veil on your face so that if you run into bees, you wouldn't get stung. Oh, we're going to see bees as well. Oh, look, well. if we go on an excursion, you've got to come to buy beehives in the hunter and see them. We definitely have have to come to the beehives, and I dare say that uh, that might actually honey might work very well um, with nettle as a, as a little extra touch. If it, we it have might it be a, a component of the uh, of the nettle beer right. in Audrey oh, Hatfield's yes. book. Yes, so I might replace the quantity of sugar that she calls up in that recipe with with some of my honey. And see what that turns out to be. Oh, this sounds You've like a real You've excited me, Jane. I didn't, I didn't know you were interested in these sorts of things. <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> and speaking about that, honey as a substitute yeah. for sugar is, yeah. is quite good for us, isn't I, it? I, I believe. Look, I know this is controversial, but I believe there's a significant difference between sugar and honey. Yes. And the literature that I read encourages me very much to believe that honey is a food, honey is a medicine, and we are poor people if we put it aside because of political correctness. Yeah. Yes, we are indeed. Whereas sugar we can put aside reasonably regularly. As a result of political correctness? <laughs> yeah, well, either yes or no. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis Stewart. Okay, Jade. And that's Health Naturally for today. And we will be back next Friday uh, on 2NURFM after the midday news. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.